Good morning. It's good to be back in the teaching chair once again. Good to see all of your faces. We'll continue our study in 1 Corinthians this morning with 1 Corinthians 14. We'll read through the through that passage, and then we want to have our class discussion, including our determination of the key verse, and then we'll take a look at the outline, and, and, and if we have time left over, we'll go through that outline together. Let's read the scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 25. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, Strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit... How can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, 
the whole church, comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an un but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a great joy it is to teach your word, to study your word together, to be instructed by it. And we pray now that that might be very much in evidence today that you are the one who is instructing us. Would you guide us through this passage, a passage that has been controversial, need not be when we fully understand it. So I pray again for your guidance and your help as we uh, study together 1 Corinthians 14. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I have heard rumors that I have worked things out so that Brendan got the really hardest <laughs> chapters of 1 Corinthians to teach, and y'all know that I would never do anything like that. And, and this chapter sort of proves that. Because this is a difficult chapter, especially what we look at next week, I think, is, is a controversial topic. And so we want to go through and we want to have the guidance of God, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand that we are thoroughly ensconced in the first century church, in the way that they worshiped as we read what Paul has written to them. You will remember in our study throughout that the Corinthians had problems. And Paul is writing this epistle to address those problems. This is a problem for the Corinthians. Their, their inappropriate emphasis upon the first century spiritual gift of speaking in tongues and of prophesying. And Paul is issuing a corrective here. That corrective was primarily to them, but it has major implications for us too when we thoroughly understand it. So let's begin looking at this passage by first of all determining the key verse. You know, I sent you an email and I asked you to take a look at this passage and determine what the one verse in it you would choose that would be the one that most clearly sets forth the content of the passage or that perhaps is you consider to be the most important verse or the verse that is most important for helping you to live the Christian life most successfully. It may be all of those things. What candidates do we have for the key verse? Edward. All right. I'll throw out the first one. The language of it, verse 1. Okay. Okay, very good. Uh, pursue love. This is following up on the chapter immediately before the, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And he is emphasizing now with this word pursue. Pursue is an imperative. So this is a command to pursue love. And if we have time when we get to the outline, 
I want to talk a little bit about that word pursue and why it's so important for that for us to understand that word within its context here. But that's a great candidate for the key verse. Anybody else? Joe. I kind of be running under the microscope a little bit more and uh, came into this a little bit narrower English here. But I like verse 11. Okay. Because it, and, and maybe it's because of the evangelism thing, but if you're speaking in some way and they don't understand it, then you become a foreigner to them. Okay, read that verse for us. Oh, okay. Therefore, I do not know the meaning of the language. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to him. Okay, very good. Remember, what, what's taking place here, apparently, is that the Corinthians, in their overemphasis on this gift of tongues, they were all speaking at once, and they were speaking in tongues, and they were prophesying. And so it was a cacophony in the church. And so someone comes in from the outside, they don't know what's going on. They think they're all crazy. Remember, this is a part of what we have talked about before that I think the Corinthians suffered from, and that was an over-realized eschatology. Most people have an under-realized eschatology. They had an over-realized eschatology in that the promises of God that had been given to all believers that are fully devolved upon the believer when Christ comes again, they snatched it forward and said, we have it right now. And we're better than everybody else. All these other churches throughout the known world at the time, we're better than them because we have those gifts in our possession right now. One of those was speaking in tongues and prophesying. And so they... They had this over-realized eschatology. And Paul is correcting that as he has been correcting other problems throughout. So another good candidate. Yes. Yeah, I just make one remark on that too. Sometimes us being in a, the covenant family of being a Christian, we, we speak biblical things, but the outside doesn't quite understand that. So we've got to kind of put the cookies at the bottom shut. You know, we end up, we, we can end up over-intellectual right. or academia where people don't understand certain terms or whatever, and you want to try to find a balance that they that they communicate with them at whatever level they have. Right. Yeah, very good. Any other key verse? Yes. I was sort of drawn to I was about to speak five words in my mind and the other people stopped up and said ten thousand words in the top. And sort of piggybacks on to Joe's point that in the Corinthians, we have a lot more clarity in how they were pursuing the Right. Very good. Another good candidate for for key verse. They were, uh, Paul is, is emphasizing the fact that tongues was not the primary gift of the Spirit, even at that time. That it was better to speak 10,000 words of instruction rather than a few words in a foreign language that nobody understood. Now, again, very much this emphasis upon building up the church. So this is an important verse that we could consider for key verse. Let me give you mine. 
I picked verse 12, which says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Very similar. Uh, The emphasis here is on building up the church. And if you're speaking in tongues that nobody understood and everybody's doing it at once, and you have this disorder in the church, then you're not building up the church. You can't be. So, so the idea here that I think we see as we go along is unity, oneness, and building up the church. Keith? When I think of speaking in tongues, I think of Pentecost and how when they spoke in tongues, everybody understood it in right. their own language. But yet what the Corinthian church is talking about is kind of a different type of speaking in tongues. Yeah, the, I, I think probably Brendan touched on this when he was teaching, that the tongues that we're talking about here are known human languages. It's just that most people wouldn't understand a foreign language. You started speaking in Spanish right now. I did learn how to say, the boy is under the airplane. <laughs> I don't know why, but that was it. That was the the lesson. If I ever come across a boy under the airplane, and I need to say that in Spanish, I got it. But most people don't understand foreign languages, and and if it's a language you don't know, then you get nothing out of it. Yes. Okay, so uh, let let's move on then with uh, with our key verse and this idea of building up. And I want to go through first, before we go any further, this idea of tongues as it existed in the first century. And I am a cessationist. I believe that the, the gift of uh, the miraculous gifts that were present in the first century ceased at the end of the life of the apostles. And there are reasons for that. I looked around and found this. It's an address by Tom Pennington. You can find it on the Challies website, challies.com, if you want to look at the, at the detail of it. And he says there are seven things, seven reasons why he thinks that, uh, that the role of miracles has ceased, and it ceased with the first century. And he says that, first of all, it's based upon, his belief is based upon the unique role of miracles. Only those who spoke authoritatively and infallibly for God were given the power of miracles to validate claims to speak for God. So it was a proof that they were speaking correctly. And primarily in the Bible, we see tongues employed uh, with Moses, Elijah, Elisha, and then with Jesus and the apostles. So they were proving that the message that they were given, giving was genuine. And in the case of Christ, it was to confirm that he was everything that he claimed to be. And I've listed some related scripture there, and you'll find some of those words of Jesus that confirm that. Secondly, the end of the gift of apostleship. No one qualifies for being an apostle any longer. Being an apostle was, first of all, you had to be an eyewitness of Christ. You had to 
see him during his lifetime. You had to have experienced the resurrected Christ, and you had to be personally appointed by Christ. So there's no way today that anyone could meet that criteria, even though there are many people who identify themselves as apostles. The, the, the apostleship office that was a gift to the church, a foundational gift to the church, does not exist anymore. And it is a foundational New Testament gift. The God gave prophets and apostles to the church to establish the, the foundation. They established the foundation and then the church was built upon it. So there was no need any longer for that foundation and the apostles, the gift of apostleship has passed away. Number four, he says, the nature of the New Testament miraculous gifts is such that the speaking in tongues was a known language. That was especially true at Pentecost, as, as Keith mentioned. At Pentecost, I really think that that was probably the miraculous gift of ears, not tongues. Uh, it seems to me when I read it, and, and, and you sort of get a sense both ways, that it was a speaking in tongues of an unknown, unknown to the person speaking. But also, they, it seems that they were speaking in their own language, but everybody heard it in their own language. It was a miraculous gift from God, but it was a known language. And I think that's the case uh, in every place where we see this. It's a known language. Today, that's not the case when you see someone speaking tongues. It's, uh, it's gibberish. Glossolalia. When I was in high school, I began working at a radio station in my hometown. I worked on Sundays. In those days... It was a succession of preachers, one after the other. They paid me their $10. I let them on the air for 30 minutes. They didn't have the $10. I was under instructions under no, no circumstances left them on the air because you'll never get that $10 back. Most of them spoke, or many of them spoke in tongues while they were preaching. And it was, uh, one of them in particular, I remember he used to, speaking tongues, and he always had inserted in there somewhere, Mahera Shalahashbaz, Shalahashbaz, I can't say it. Uh, you know who that was? I believe it was Isaiah's son, wasn't it? Somebody's son. And he employed the name as, as if he were speaking in tongues. But anyway, you couldn't understand them when they were speaking English, and you couldn't understand them when they were speaking in tongues either. It's... Uh, <laughs> So the nature of the of the New Testament gift. The testimony of church history. Early church fathers, such as uh, Chrysostom and Augustine, write that there is no such gift in evidence. They don't see the evidence of anyone speaking in tongues or healing or prophesying in their day. And they were close enough to the second century to have probably known people who lived during that time. And, and they knew that continuing in the second century, there was no evidence of those miraculous gifts. And here's the strongest point, I think, is number six, the sufficiency of Scripture. 
Why were those tongues given? Those tongues were given to confirm the message that was being preached by the apostles in the New Testament. The tongues were no longer necessary. The the miraculous gift of healing was no longer necessary. The prophesying that took place in in the church, which I think was was not infallible prophesying like it was in the Old Testament, and not like what the apostles themselves did, which was infallible. But it was it was a message from God, which they stood up and spoke in church. So it was more teaching, but it was uh, something that came to their mind, being presented to them by God. So a miraculous gift given to the first century church. But all of it was to confirm the message. Scripture does that now. We're told by Scripture itself that it is the faith once and for all delivered unto the saints. And that's sufficient for us. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for all good works. So it is fully profitable. It is sufficient. And so there's no need for the tongues, the healing, the prophesying anymore. The New Testament is governed, governed the miraculous gifts. Paul gives the rules here. If you speak in a tongue, there must be an interpreter. If you speak in tongues, it must be one, two, or three, no more than three, I think he says. And there must be an interpreter there. There are rules governing it. When you come upon those speaking in tongues today, they're usually those rules are not in effect. They're not followed. So the miraculous gifts were governed in the New Testament. We don't see that anymore. Yes. My, my understanding of uh, when you're when they're speaking today in the tongues and it's gibberish, right? Right. You may you may be in the spirit, but you don't know who you're praying to. Um, you don't know who you're That, that's a very good idea. It, uh, you know, it's not necessarily speaking to God. You know, there is one thing that I've always kind of questioned, and hopefully now that I have a Christian question, I'll hear that. But in verse 2, Paul references this loss of areas or whatever as in a tongue, singular. But then if you get down to verse 5, and he's talking about the prophetic gifts, right? It's I have not thought about that, so I don't know. You know, he does distinguish, though, when he talks about this unknown tongue, mm-hmm. and then he talks about, like, dialectons. It's right. plural. Tongue. I, I have not, uh, okay. I, I didn't really pay attention to that, so I haven't looked it up. I would have to uh, research that and see if it's, if, and by the way, the word unknown is not there. That was that was added by translators. Okay, that's fine. But the whole thing is there is a distinction between in right. tongues and right. tongues. Okay, let's move on quickly to our discussion questions. I gave you three of them. First of all, it's important to see chapters 11 through 14 as a unit. And I gave you some verses there that are pulled from those four chapters that sort of point you in the right direction of, of what the theme or possibly themes are of this passage. So what theme or themes do you find 
that tie these four chapters together? Who wants to answer that? Very good. The idea here is church order. And we see that through all of those chapters. Paul says he's going to show a better way. And then he shows that better way. It's love. Pursue love, he says. And, and all of this speaks to church order. Everything is done decently and in order. And all of that is done with an idea of building up the church. So if you look up those scripture verses, which we won't go through now in the interest of time, and, and they'll be recorded here if you go online to the church website, svcgreenville.org, then you can look up under Fellowship Sunday School Class and find this video, and I put it here so it's uh, forever in the record of what these verses are, and you can look them up at any time and see the, the scriptural evidence for what the primary themes of this passage are. And it is church order. It is oneness. The church is unified. Paul, one of the major things that he's emphasizing here are divisions in the church. All of this is aimed toward that order, the, the ending of divisions and and church order and uh, being built up. The church should be built up. He says, desire the gifts that build up the church. Second question, in 14, 1 through 6, why is one who prophesies greater than the one who speaks in a tongue? Right. So it, it's the fact that prophesying, again, this is the first century church and their gift of prophecy, which I think is more closely akin to teaching, but it is an idea, a theme perhaps you could say, that is introduced to their minds by God. So it is a miraculous first century gift of the Holy Spirit. And individual believers would stand and and teach what they had been given by God. And it was for the purpose of edifying other believers. Tongues didn't accomplish that. The tongues were understood not by anyone. The person speaking them didn't understand that tongue necessarily. And the people hearing it did not understand that tongue unless they were a native speaker of that tongue. And so that's why Paul says there must be an interpreter there in order to do that. Someone who can stand up and say, I know Spanish. He's saying there's a boy under the, the airplane there. Uh, but you had to understand the language. Somebody did in order to, to do that. The miracle, the confirmation, was in seeing someone who didn't know whatever the language was speak it fluently. And to hear someone who did know the language say, yes, that is that language. 
I understand it and I'll interpret it for you. And it is instructing these things that we need to pay attention to. Not infallible. What the prophets spoke when they preached was infallible, but not the the gift of prophecy that we're seeing here that took place in the churches. Important, but that's the reason Paul emphasizes that we must test the spirits to see whether they are correct or not. Third question, in 14, 12 through 19, Paul uses the contrast between speaking in tongues versus prophesying to say something very important about the purpose of all spiritual gifts. What is it? Let me go back and we'll bring that up. Read through it. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? He goes on to say, if I pray with the Spirit, I need to pray with my mind also. If I sing praises with my spirit, I need to sing praises with my mind also. Otherwise, you give thanks with your spirit. How can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? You may be given thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. The idea of building up again. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, he's talking about those first century miraculous gifts. How does that apply to, to the other spiritual gifts that God obviously gives to the body in order to make the body function? We are the body of Christ, uh, and, and like a human body of hands and feet and fingers and toes, each part of the body performs a function. That that function is important. My big toe is dead. Therefore, I cannot walk well and, and have balance. I, I never thought my big toe was that important before, but it's important. Uh, I've seldom even looked at it before now, but it, it makes a difference as to your balance. It's an important thing. So all members of the body are important and God presents them with spiritual gifts to enable enable them to perform their given function, their gift. And so how does this relate to that? What's this saying to us that's important to us? This isn't just instruction of the first century. It's instruction to us too. The spiritual gifts, whatever they may be, teaching, preaching in the case of a of someone who's called to preach, administration, helps. There are a number of different spiritual gifts mentioned in Scripture that God still gives to the church. And what's the purpose? Right. So we're aimed toward 
the fullness of Christ, the building up of the church, the edifying of the church. That's what it means to do all of these things with the mind and not just the spirit, to build up the church. Now, if you're paying attention, you may have noticed that the answer to all three discussion questions was the same. In fact, that's the, the meaning that I think the key verse should carry with it. And it is build up the church, build up the church, build up the church, build up the church. That's the important thing that's being set forth here for us today in the use of the, of the gifts of the Spirit that God gives to every one of us. Now, I don't think, a lot of people do think God gives a, each one a spiritual gift and that's it. You're stuck with it. That, that may be the case, often is, I think. But it may not be the case. The gift may be given for the occasion. And we can be certain because Scripture says so that if God calls us to do a particular task, he enables us to do it. So that's a gift of the Spirit. So, so you may very well have a gift that is given to you and you exercise that gift. But God can also give you additional gifting if he calls you to a particular task. So the, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit are the gifts of the Spirit which are miraculously given, let me put it that way, are still present. But the miraculous gifts of actually performing miracles that are impossible. That's my definition of what a miracle is. It's impossible. It couldn't happen, but it did. That That's a miracle. Uh, but the other gifts of the Spirit are still there very much in evidence. Now, here's the outline that I came up with. First of all, the superiority of prophecy. We're to pursue love, he says, and the end of that pursuing of love is building up the church. The love that's being spoken of there, we often see chapter 13 used in the context of a marriage ceremony, and and I think it does apply there. But primarily, we're talking about agape love. We're talking about covenantal love. We're talking about the love that God expresses toward us and we toward God. We love God because he first loved us. That's a, that's a vertical aspect of that, but there's also a horizontal aspect of it. We're all in this together. All true believers in Christ are in the covenant. They're in that covenant relationship. Therefore, we have that relationship to each other, and we are to express that love for each other. Uh, that's why we're divided into communities. Uh, so we can get to know each other and we can pray for each other and we can love each other and help each other. That's why we have the fellowships like we did Friday night, uh, so we can meet together and get to know each other and, and enjoy fellow believers and and pray for each other is, is that expression of love. So he says you are to pursue that love. Uh, the word there is uh, uh, dioko, and here's the dictionary meaning of it in a Greek dictionary. To do something with intense effort and with definite purpose or goal. 
there's an intensity here to pursuing this. And the thing we're pursuing is building up church. There's an ineffectiveness of tongues. He gives some examples there of an indistinct sound. If I played the bugle, you wouldn't know whether to charge or retreat. And he uses that as an example. If someone speaks in a tongue that nobody knows, it's an indistinct sound. Nobody knows what it means. It's a language without meaning. We see the purpose of the gift in verses 12 through 20. He says we should strive to excel in the gifts, the ones which build the church up, the ones that allow us to speak with a mind, not just glossolalia. And then there's the effect on unbelievers, and this is an important point too. He says tongues, and he quotes, I believe it's Joel that he quotes, um, he quotes the passage that says, with a, with a people of an unknown tongue, I will speak to you. That's judgment. God says, I've spoken to you and spoken to you. You don't listen to me. You won't pay attention. The next time I speak to you, it's going to be through someone whose language you don't understand. There's going to be an invasion of a foreign country, and your country is going to be destroyed. So speaking in tongues was, was seen here in this passage as being a sign of judgment by God. So when, uh, when an unbeliever comes into the church and they hear everybody speaking in tongues that can't be understood by anyone, that's a sign of judgment. They're going to look and say, you people are all crazy. And, but if they come in and there is speaking with the mind going on, if they hear the word preached, which is what they will hear when they come to our church, they will be convicted of their sins. And, and they will be uh, have the opportunity to hear the gospel and to act upon the gospel. So what's the point of this whole chapter? What's the point for us today? What do all of us get out of this? Build up a church. Strive to do that. Strive. Pursue love with an intensity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this instruction from your word today. We pray that you would apply it to our hearts. Would you go with those of us who haven't been to worship yet? Would you be with us and and would you bless during this worship service as we hear your word preached? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Great to be back with you again.